0: St. Thomas Aquinas uh, teaches us that our emotions or passions must be subject to our intellect and our will. I was working on this episode and felt affirmed when I saw Layla Miller's post uh, about this on Facebook recently. Our emotions, our passions must be subject to our intellect and our will. With that in mind, I'd like to invite you to revisit Genesis with me on this first Sunday of Advent. If you're doing any sort of guided study through Advent with your kids, especially if you're homeschooling, if you're doing the Jesse tree or something similar, you're starting with Genesis, right? So I hope you find this reflection fitting for today. This is a reflection on Genesis for wives specifically. In this season of Advent, we're reflecting on many things. We're reflecting on salvation history, we're maybe reflecting specifically on Mary's role in salvation history as we celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th, the anticipation, the prevenient grace that was given to the Blessed Mother in anticipation of her vocation as Mother of God. And you know, not just during Advent, but especially during Advent, we talk a lot about imitating Mary, don't we? No, we talk about uniting ourselves to her in that anticipation of Christ and preparing for his coming. But, you know, what I'd like to invite you to internalize is that we cannot really begin to imitate Mary unless we understand what she did that was fundamentally different from what Eve did. What choices Mary made that were fundamentally different from the choices that Eve made. Because Mary is the new Eve. She comes to heal the wounds caused by Eve's sins. She comes to make right what Eve did wrong. And I think we forget this. We just think of imitating Mary as something that we sort of add on to our regular life. But what we're actually supposed to do, what we actually need to do in order to properly imitate Mary, is to root out those sinful behaviors by which we follow in the footsteps of Eve. In order to imitate Mary, we have to conquer those sinful tendencies to do as Eve did. So what did Eve do? And what was it that Mary did that was the opposite? Have you, have you thought about this before? You strive to be a daughter of Mary, but you are born a daughter of Eve. What did Eve do that Mary needed to put right? How can your life reflect the corrective actions of Mary if you don't even know what it was that she was trying to correct and therefore what her corrective actions were? Our emotions must be subject to our intellect and our will. We learned this lesson from Genesis. We learned this lesson from the fall. Eve knew intellectually that she was forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We spot this very easily, based on her dialogue with the serpent, because she states clearly what she supposedly knows. But what Eve also knows is her place. Her place as helpmeet, and this is something that I think we overlook. There's commentary out there on Eve's pride in being addressed by the serpent, that she was lured into dialogue with him because he made her feel important. Why? Why would this address make her feel so important unless she knew that she was being addressed regarding a matter on which it was not for her to make a call? In engaging in this dialogue with the serpent regarding a matter which is outside of her jurisdiction we see a display of emotion, of passion, of prideful ambition. But we do also see, and we covered this in episode two, we see that Eve evaluates the fruit and that this evaluation is also based on emotion. Genesis tells us that she found the fruit to be a delight to the eyes and appearing desirable to make one wise. Emotions, passions. So despite what she knew intellectually, A, that she was forbidden from eating this fruit, but more importantly, even B, that this was not a decision which she had the authority to make on behalf of herself and her husband. Eve failed to make her emotions subordinate to her will. And remember, it was not due to any mark of concupiscence which she already possessed. She made this choice without any prior disposition towards sin. Fast forward to Luke chapter one and contrast Eve's behavior with Mary's. Mary also had to conquer emotions. We read here in Luke that she was greatly troubled by the angel's greeting. Troubled. We could say scared. We could say distressed. We could say shocked. We could say confused. Mary also had emotions which needed to be subjugated by her intellect and her will. She and Eve at their respective parallel moments of challenge are on equal footing at this point. Neither have a predisposition towards sin. Both are faced with strong emotion, but here is where their paths diverge. Where Eve entered into a dialogue revealing her ambition to take on an authority which she had not been granted by God, and so her rejection of her vocationist helpmeet, Mary prostrates her entire being. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. She claims no identity apart from Him. And in when she says next, Let it be done unto me according to thy word, she claims no authority to dictate the details of the direction of her life. She gives to God her present and commits to God her future without reserve. She steals herself and does not allow her emotions to get the better of her. This is why it's important to understand it's not your emotions which are sinful. It's how you choose to act. Emotions are only invitations to action. But it is the action and not the emotion preceding it by which we will be judged. Mary is greatly troubled and yet she chooses trust. Eve could have chosen trust. Eve could have chosen to embrace her vocation as helpmeet. She could have chosen to trust in God's plan for her husband's vocation as head of the family. Eve allowed her emotions to get the better of her. Does that sound familiar to you at all? You know, probably the two most common complaints from women are, my husband doesn't listen to me, and my husband doesn't care about how I feel. (laughs) Right? If you are one of those women, could I ask if you've ever really paid attention to what Adam did that got him kicked out of the garden? He listened to his wife because he cared too much about how she felt. That's that's Adam's end of it. His failure to make his emotions subject to his intellect and his will. You have to understand this. Adam's intellect is with God. But his heart is where God put it, with his wife. Again, we covered this in episode two, so head on back there if you're rusty. Who inspires the emotions within Adam that he ultimately fails to conquer in his moment of temptation. His wife. Not the serpent. His wife. Go back to episode two because I'm not going to rehash it all today. Adam listened to his wife because he cared too much about how she felt. Do you know why God listens to Mary? Because he does listen to her, doesn't he? We call her one of our most um, powerful intercessors. We call her our most powerful intercessor. Among the 15 promises made to those who recite the rosary is this one. You shall obtain all you ask of me by recitation of the rosary. Is it magic? No. It's for this simple reason, that Mary never wants anything except for what God wants. She never asks for anything except for what is God's will. And when you say the rosary, you're spending time with her. And if you spend that much time with her and really pay that much attention to what she's trying to teach you, there is no way that you can come to the end of your life unchanged by that investment of time. You will obtain all that you ask by recitation of the rosary precisely because faithfulness in this devotion will make it impossible for you to ask for sinful things. You will be so changed. Mary embraces God's will. She never asks anything contrary to God's will. And that's why God grants all that she asks. It's a little circular. It's a little circular. But this is how it works. God grants everything that Mary asks of him because she never asks anything which is contrary to his will. Do you pray for your husband to listen to you? Do you pray for your husband to care about how you feel? The thing is, no matter how much better your character may be versus your husband's, no matter how much more intelligent you may be on certain matters no matter how much more emotionally mature or detail-oriented or research-driven you may be or what, it does not change this first truth about your existence, that since he created you a woman, he created you to be a helpmeet. There will never be any qualification which you can possess, which will change the fact that you have been placed under someone's authority. If you want your husband to listen to you, the way that Christ listens to his mother, the first thing that you must embrace is God's will for the hierarchy of your respective vocations. Mary's influence is great precisely because she never seeks to usurp an authority which does not belong to her. Eve's influence was faulty Eve's influence was erroneous because she tried to claim an authority for herself which she never had. It was never her right. God's authority and Mary's influence work in harmony, and that's how it should be in your marriage. The reason that there's conflict is that you're trying to claim authority which is not yours. It is by embracing God's will for your husband's authority that you gain influence. And when the influence which God has given you over your husband's heart is properly exercised, your God-given influence and your husband's God-given authority work in harmony for the good of your family and ultimately the good of the entire world. If you wish to be queen in your domestic church as Mary is queen of heaven and earth, If you would imitate Mary, you must conquer your emotions and choose differently from Eve.